Let's pray and um, see what we're going to do. Father, thank you for what, you're done, what you've done already today and, and tonight, and uh, people who have gotten healed, people who have just received uh, blessing and inheritance and just uh, release of debt and all the things that have happened, even things we're not aware of yet that we'll become aware of in the next 30 days. Father, we just thank you for, for, for all those things, and we, we ask your blessing on, on what we share tonight, that it would be helpful and that we'd be able to move in, in deeper into the kingdom, deeper into the ways of the kingdom, and, and finding your grace and peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Why don't you turn to Hebrews, um, we're going to do uh, chapter, around chapter 3 and some of chapter 4, and I want to talk to you about resting in faith tonight. And, uh, Bill was... Uh, was talking about faith, and I had already put together some notes, so I showed him, like, I'm not still in your message. I got it first. <laughs> um, Hebrews 3, about verse 18, And to them he, he swore that they would not enter his rest, speaking of Israel when they were going through the wilderness and then into the promised land with Joshua. But to those, um, start, let's start over, verse 18, To whom... He did, he did uh, let's see, and to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were not able to enter his rest because of unbelief. Everybody say unbelief. Therefore, let us fear, verse, verse uh, 1 of chapter 4, let us fear if while uh, promise remains of entering his rest, any one of us may seem to have come short of it. For indeed, if they had the good news preached to us, just as, we, just as they also... But the word they heard did not profit them because it was not united by faith in those who heard. For those who have believed entered his rest, just as he said, I, <clears throat> I swore in my wrath they will not enter my rest. For, um, did I mess that up? Verse 3. For we who have believed entered that rest, just as he has said, as I swore in my wrath they shall not enter his rest, although his, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he said... Somewhere concerning the seventh day, <laughs> whoever wrote Hebrews doesn't know anything about Genesis, I guess. And God rested on the seventh day from his works. And again in this passage, they shall not enter my rest. Therefore, since it remains for, the, for some to enter it, and those who formerly had good news preached to them failed to enter because of disobedience, again he fixed a certain day, saying today, saying through David, just, a long t- uh, just so long a time just as... Ah, boy... Am I having a struggle or what? Reading. Verse 7. And again, fixes a certain day, today, saying, through David, after so long a time, just as he'd said before, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. I don't know why that doesn't seem to make sense when you look at it, but... Verse 8. If Joshua had given them rest, he would not have spoken of another day after that. For there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For the one who has entered his rest has himself also rested from his works, just as God did from his. Therefore, let us be diligent to enter that rest so that no one will fall through following the same example of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, both of joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and tensions of his heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Therefore, since we have such a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we have, 
For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Therefore let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. And tonight I just want to um, talk to you a little bit about rest. You know, um, it's, it's interesting here that it's, God said that the Israelites, he gave them a Sabbath day. In other words, they had a day that they were supposed to rest, but they were disobedient and they didn't rest. And then he says Joshua, even though Joshua had a Sabbath day, even though Joshua gave them a Sabbath day, the people didn't rest. And, and I want to talk to you tonight about the rest of God. And first of all, I want to say that practically some of us are trying to do with vacation what God wants us to do as a lifestyle. And I, I'll, I'll put my, my hand and feet up. Sometimes we're trying to do with vacation, we're trying to do with two, in two weeks or three weeks what God wants us to do as a lifestyle of taking a day to rest. And how many of you know if the God of all creation rested on a day, then probably you need one too. But here's what I want to talk to you about. It says that they, that we, um, that they didn't rest because, they, because, they, because of unbelief. And what I'm getting at is this. You can stop your activities, but that's not a Sabbath rest. Because if you stop your activities, if you stop work and you worry, that's not called rest. So Joshua made the people take a day where they did nothing, but because they worried, God said that they didn't rest. And they worried because of unbelief. They didn't believe that God was for them. Are you with me? And, um, and he talks about a Sabbath rest, and it's interesting because in the middle of the talking about rest, and you know, if you read chapter 3, there's, there's more about that that we didn't read <laughs> for obvious reasons. We just barely got through chapter 4. But verse 12, isn't it interesting? In the midst of the subject of rest, he says, For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing as far as division between soul and spirit, between joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So there's no creature hidden from his sight. And he begins to take this subject, and he's talking about the Sabbath rest, and he said that God was angry with them because they didn't rest. Now, how many of you know that's kind of an odd deal? It's like... It's like God didn't want them to work all the time, and when they worked all the time, He got angry with them. Let me say this. God is serious about us resting. I I want to say that one more time because I feel like it's simple but profound. Like, you know, the uh, I was just thinking about this today. It's kind of odd, but, you know, sometimes the things that we preach in our family, like this is our family, like I I have a stack of notes that I never use on the road. It's kind of like, this is meat and potatoes family stuff that we do. And there's stuff we share with our family that is just our family stuff. And this is a family word. This is like, you, come, you know, when your family comes over, it isn't necessarily a big old spread. But, you know, it, it, it's nourishing. Oh, never mind. <laughs> Bill knows what I mean, for sure. It says that they had the good news preached to them. And when he's talking about the good news in the, in the text, he's talking about resting. And he says, resting is good news. And what I want to say is this, is that did you notice that 
he begins to talk about in the midst of resting, he starts talking about the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and it's able to, ju- to, to judge between the thoughts and tensions of the heart, divides between soul and spirit. And one of the things that I've noticed practically is that when we stop activity, at least in American culture, and I, I don't know too many different cultures very well, but when we stop activity in American culture and try to rest, what we find is, is that when we don't keep ourselves busy externally, that we become aware of what's going on internally, and we find that there's a lot of things going on internally that aren't settled. Now I know I'm talking to some folks. And so, and so what happens is, is that we live a life, and, and I tell you, I believe that the Lord wants us to live 120 years. That's, that was what was promised in the Old Testament. So at least that should be able to live 120 years, then he dropped it to 70 later. But, well, it's true, actually. But, the, but what I'm getting at is this, is that what happens when we try to rest, when we try to take a Sabbath rest, where we actually take time to rebuild, and, you know, Bill talked about recreation not uh, too long ago, that recreation is supposed to be recreation, where you take time for God and you and your family to recreate and, and make connections in a, in a busy life. There's, there's something that happens that I think is, is so American culture, and, and it's so um, latter-day culture, uh, end-time kind of culture. Jesus said, in the last days, men's hearts will fail them for fear. And one of the things that I think that practically happens is, and I've said this, I think, twice in the last three or four months, we are the most over-informed people about bad news that, is, that has ever graced this planet. Now, I'm just talking about practically. I mean, we know more bad news in a week than probably the former generation a generation, a hundred years from ago, and of course anywhere, anywhere back further, I bet you we know more bad news in one week than the average person would hear in a, in a lifetime. L- let's put it this way. For sure we have more access to it. For sure we have more access to it. More bad news. And so what happens is it says that it said that they didn't, they were disobedient because they didn't believe. There was unbelief in their life. And when there's, there's unbelief in our life, what happens is, is that unbelief gives way to fear. And there, one of the things that we do, we call it therapeutic, and in some ways there is, and I'll, I'll explain what I mean by that in just a few minutes, but sometimes we keep busy, we keep busy, we keep busy, And that busyness is really a fear of what happens when I stop being busy and it gets quiet. And when it gets quiet inside the kingdom that's within me, there are things that are unsettled that I'm afraid of. So because I'm afraid of them, I try to keep my attention focused on all the external things because... I don't know what to do with the things that are, that are going on inside of me. I don't know how to settle the issues that are inside of me. Are you, are you with me? And so he, he's talking about rest, and in the middle of this subject about rest, he talk, starts talking about the Word of God that's living and active and sharper than a two-edged sword and judges the thoughts and tensions of the heart, and you're like, now what does that have to do with rest? What God is saying is, is that, listen... When you stop working, and we're not, now we're not just talking about physical activity, but we're talking about like, we're just talking about where you just keep moving 
so that you, because when you don't, let me just say this. Off, uh, John Paul Jackson made a statement, I, I've quoted it three or four times. He said, when we trust ourselves, we're only, we're only at peace when we're in charge. But when we trust God, we're at peace all the time. And then, and I quoted this two weeks ago. James 1, consider it all joy when you counter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith. And I said two weeks ago, trials don't test your character, they test your faith. And what I'm getting at is this, when we go through a trial, what we really figure out is, was I trusting me or was I trusting God? Boy, I think I'm not... Maybe, this, maybe trials don't work the same way with you. Like, for me, if I go through something, let's say someone sends me a bill for $500 and I have 10000 in the bank. That ain't a trial. I could pay that. You didn't get that. I could pay that. It's not a trial. Even if it's unexpected. Like, I get an unexpected bill for $500 in the mail. I mean, I may be upset about it because it's unexpected. Maybe I feel like it's unjust, unjust or whatever. But it's not really a trial because I have the power to deal with it. What's a trial is when they send me a $100,000 bill and I have 10000 in the bank. That's a trial. Now, what I'm getting at is a trial tends to be, a trial tends to be the test of what happens when something is bigger than your ability to fix it. Now, you may be thinking of other things and, and, there, and, and this may not be the complete picture. But for me, I mean, I could be upset about something, that's a trial, maybe it's a testing my character there. But trials for me are when somebody close to me or somebody, something I'm responsible for is bigger than me. I don't have the money, and this is a metaphor, I don't have the money in the bank to fix it. And what I learned right away is, all this time, have I been trusting me or trusting God? See, somebody, you know, somebody, sometimes you talk to people and you say, what do you do for a living? And they say, um, they say, I live by faith. It means they don't have a job. And they're sucking off other people. They're not all sucking. Some of them are being supported. I said that negatively, and then I thought about all the people that, I really, that we love and we support. So take that off the podcast. The, this is the part I hate about that. I, I hate what it seems to be saying. What do you do for a living? I live by faith. As if when I have a job, I no longer need faith. And what, and, what, and what people are saying when they say that is that you have a job, you get a paycheck, I live by faith. And I'm like, I don't want, if I make 10000 a month, if I make 20000 a month, I don't want to reduce my, my, my life down to my ability to perform. If I get a $500 bill and I have 10000 in the bank, I still want to have faith. I don't know if this is making any sense. It's like, because someday I could run out of money. 
And then I won't, then it won't, it doesn't even dawn on me that I've been living under my own strength and power for all these years. And I've really been living in unbelief because I'm doing fine because I am doing fine. Not because he's doing fine through me. So trials test my faith because trials typically like, here comes Goliath, man, he's a lot bigger than me. And it's like, you know, I've been beating up my little brother for a while, and I'm like, I think I'm pretty strong. And then here comes this guy that's obviously bigger than me. And it's like, okay, my confidence goes out the window. The minute my confidence goes out the window, I realize where it was rooted in the first place. Somebody once said, you can always tell the size of a man by the size of the problem it takes to discourage him. I'd say you can always tell the size of his God by the size of a problem it takes to discourage him. So, he says the the word of God is living and active and sharper than two-edged sword. What's the point? I think his point is, when you stop working and you stop the activity and you really are trying to rest, and I mean, you know, I'm, I'm not just talking about like hanging out, vegging, but I am talking about like, I'm talking about a time, yeah, Bill says why. That's part of it. Part of it. Hanging out, vegging is resting. Hanging out. God is saying this. He's saying that if you stop working and you start worrying, I have the answer. If you'll trust me, I'll come in with my word and I'll begin to sever those things off of you that you were afraid of. Are you with me? Now, Harold Everly says, you know, it says um, here, it says, he has a two-edged sword piercing as far as division of soul and spirit, both joints and marrow. And it seems to be saying in the, in the passage that God is trying to separate the soul from the spirit. But Harold Eberly did a word study, and he said that actually in the Greek, it's not saying that God is separating the soul from the soul. You, know, you can't separate the joint and the marrow, by the way. They're not connected. He, he says that in the original Greek it says that God is separating the spirit from the spirit and the soul from the soul. In other words, he's separating what shouldn't be in the spirit from what should be and what shouldn't be in the soul from what should be. And God is saying, listen, this is what I believe he's saying. Listen, when you, when you rest, you go, God, I don't rest. Here's the reason. As soon as I lay down, I worry. And you don't like me worried, so you'd rather, I'd rather work than worry. And God goes, you know what? If you'll rest... I'll come in with my word and I'll begin to separate those things off that you're afraid of. When you stop the activity, those things you're afraid of, if, you'll, if you will trust me, if you will believe me, I will begin to separate those things off from you so that when you stop your activity, you can actually have peace. See, because a Sabbath rest isn't the, isn't the absence of activity, it's the presence of peace. Let me say this again. Our true New Testament Sabbath rest isn't the absence of activity, it's the presence of peace. That was a good word, actually. (laughs) Sorry. It's interesting, um, Israel, for 490 years, did not celebrate a Sabbath. They took no Sabbath for 490 years. And God warned them and warned them and warned them and warned them about the Sabbath day. You know, this is the Old Testament law. They took no Sabbath. And so God just went in and put them in captivity for 70 years. So they, they rested really well for 70 years. 
in captivity. You know, if you take 490, how many Sabbaths did they miss? They missed 70 years of Sabbaths. So God goes, okay, you're going to rest now. (laughs) It says that they didn't unite the word with faith, and that's why they didn't come into rest. They didn't unite the word with faith. I want to read you this book. I don't know if anyone's read this book. It's written by a Christian, but it's not a Christian book. You know what I mean by that, I guess. It's called Who Switched Off My Brain? And it's about, um, it's about anxiety and dealing with your emotions and thoughts and stuff. And it's, this, uh, it's Dr. Caroline Leaf, and she's a, the, one of the foremost uh, psychologists in the world, actually, from South, uh, from, um, South Africa. And here's something she wrote. There are two groups of emotions, positive faith-based emotions. Now, you've got to understand, this book is not a Christian book. Positive faith-based emotions and negative fear-based emotions. Each of these groups has its own set of emotional molecules attached to it. It is vital to understand the difference between these two polar opposite groups. Faith and fear are not just emotions, but spiritual forces with chemical and electrical representatives in the body. This is one of the foremost psychiatrists in the world. Faith and fear are not just emotions, but spiritual forces with chemical and electrical representatives in the body. Consequently, they directly impact body function. Every emotion results in an attitude. An attitude is a state of mind that produces a reaction in the body that, and, and, a result, and, a, and a result in behavior. All negative emotions evolve out of fear. Let me read you that again. She says, All negative emotions evolve out of fear. All positive emotions evolve out of faith. There are sets of molecules of e- for each emotion of these spiritual forces. Let me say that again. All negative emotions evolve out of fear. All positive emotions evolve out of faith. There are sets of molecules of emotion for each of these spiritual forces. Example of faith-based emotions are love, joy, peace, kindness, gentleness, self-control, forgiveness. These produce good attitudes. Fear automatically puts the body in stress mode and reaction. And you, um, examples of these fear, of fear-based emotions are hate, worry, anxiety, anger, hostility, rage, uh, ill will, resentment, frustration, impatience, irritations. These produce toxic attitudes which produce toxic responses in the body. In fact, anxiety, one of the most toxic emotions that fear produces, can linger long after the threat has come and gone. Now, is that amazing? And she goes on to talk about, I mean, the book is really, it's really a good book if you're dealing with any kind of anxiety kind of stuff because she, she, uh, she just talks about what God created in us is, and how chemically it works and how to reverse the order. But isn't, it, isn't that amazing? She says, she says that all negative emotions evolve out of fear and all positive emotions evolve out of faith. In other words, what do you believe? Do you believe God? If you do, you'll be able to come into rest. If you don't believe God, you won't be able to rest. Ball is a good word too, actually. I guess. (laughs) 
Hebrews chapter 4, um, verse 7. He again fixes a certain day, today, saying through David, after so long a time, just as he said before, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, he would not have spoken of another day after that. So there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. The one thing I wanted to say here is this. He says, he's quoting David, and he says, today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Which is very interesting because... It means that you have a choice over what kind of soil the word's going to come to. Let me see if I can say it differently. You have a choice whether your whether your heart's going to be hard or not. Like you make a choice what kind of soil the word of God is going to be planted in. He says, if you hear his voice today, don't harden your heart. That means that you can keep from hardening it or you can harden it. And I want to tell you that one of the things that happens in, um, in our revival culture, and we've been you know, uh, doing this for a long time, is that um, people get healed and other people don't get healed. And it's real easy if you've had a problem for a long time. Let's say, uh, I don't know, there was something named tonight. You know, you've had an MS for a long time. And somebody, and, and then you hear of you know, all these testimonies about people who, get, who got healed from MS, it's really easy for you to begin to have an unbelieving heart. Well, they, didn't get really, they really didn't get healed because I'm not healed. Or I'm, I'm mad at God. There must be something wrong with me. I mean, all these things we go through, that what ends up happening is, is we lose faith for our own situation. Because we've been prayed for and we've been prayed for, and then someone else comes up and gets healed. One of the... Uh, and I just so respect Eric and love Eric. I've known him since he was just a little guy. But it's amazing. You know, we were in Mexico, and I don't know if he prayed for them or if he was close to the person who prayed for them, but prayed for somebody who was completely, almost completely deaf, completely deaf in one ear, and they got healed. And you know Eric's 90% deaf. And it would be really easy for Eric to have a hard heart in the area of healing for ears. Because he's lived with this his whole life. I don't know if I'm even making sense to some of you. It's like, he says, today, if you hear his word, don't harden your heart. And what's he talking about? He's talking about hearing the word of faith. Who is he talking to? First of all, he's talking to the people originally who were in the wilderness. And what were they mad about? They were mad because they were eating the same thing day after day. And it felt like that, you know, they kept saying, well, God brought us out here because he's mad at us. And, and what they couldn't see is, in fact, Bill's message that he's been preaching now for several months, especially, I mean, focusing on the goodness of God, is they couldn't see that God did not bring them out in the wilderness to destroy them, but he brought them out there because he loved them. And all he was waiting for is for them to believe so that he could take them into the promised land, which was about 40 days journey. They spent 40 years there and died off. And why did they do that? Because they, because they didn't unite the word, we're going to the promised land, with faith. They had all kinds of reasons why that word wasn't for them. And if you think about it, that prophetic declaration that Moses made, we're going to the promised land, uh, there was probably 1.5 million to 2.2 million people out in the wilderness. Only two people that got that prophetic word actually went into the promised land. Joshua and Caleb. That's not very good odds. If I prophesied to 1.5 million people and only, it only comes true for two, that's not a very high percentage. 
whatever. Did you get that? And say, well, that wasn't a good word. No, the people did not unite their faith with it. God has given us something, a promise that's bigger than the promised land that they were. He's talked to us about changing world history from a little place like Reading. There, there's so many distra- I mean, there's so many things in our life that can distract us from making history. So many things. And Jesus talked about the cares of the world and the, the deceitfulness of riches. And I mean, there are so many things that that can grab our attention and take us away. There's so many things that happen in our life that we that we don't have that we don't seem to have power over. In, in other words. Uh, things come into our life that, that we didn't expect. And, you know, Jesus said, in the world you have tribulation, but he said, I've overcome the world. So it's like, welcome to the world. Um, you know, you see, the, you see people who seem like they have their life all together, and you go, oh, that person has no problems. If they're breathing air, I guarantee you, they have problems. It says, even Jesus learned obedience through the things he suffered. He never did anything wrong. And he still learned obedience through the things he suffered. So, you know, you look, at, you look at anybody you admire and go, oh man, you know what, I wish I had a life like them. Like, they have no problems. Yeah, they're breathing air. They have problems. Everybody does. Else, what do you do with the challenges of your life? Do you worry or do you give them to God? I'd like to say that I'm a great example of someone who doesn't worry. I don't know why every message in the last few months I have to preach to myself. Honestly, I just got to be honest because we're in the family. I preached for for a long time. I preached on the things I felt like the Lord had given me victory on, and I'm like, Lord, I you know what? I have a breakthrough here, so I preach on this. And now the Lord's like, I want you to preach on. I said, I can't preach on that. I don't rest. He's like, That's why I want you to preach about it. It really sucks, though. You know, it's like, I have no experience at this whatsoever. It's like, here I am talking about, like, this is the way we should live. <laughs> you know, it's like preaching about, you know, family and your kids are the worst kids in the church or something, you know. Like, Let me tell you how to raise a family. And there goes little Johnny. That's how it feels lately, you know, like, I, don't, I told the Lord, I don't want to preach on this stuff. And he's like, you're not going to have anything to say then, because it's the only message I'm giving you. <laughs> but I like this part, listen to this. <laughs> Therefore, since, look, I know this isn't good, but, but it's good for you. Therefore, since we have a great high priest... You know, we preach really good in Mexico. I got to preach on stuff I'm good at. Because I didn't ask. 
What's a preacher? Anyway, so... You know I'm teasing, come on. Therefore, since we have... Can you guys be quiet so I can please... (laughs) Having a reading problem already. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who passed through the heavens, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, and yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace through the throne of grace, for we shall receive mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. And I just want to say this, it's like, you know, it, he says the word of God is living and active like it's sharper than a two-edged sword, and it's talking about dividing, it's talking about like doing surgery on us. Like the word of God does surgery on us. And I don't think he's just talking about the Bible. I think he's talking about what happens when Jesus takes the sword of the Spirit and he begins to work in my life. And, and then he says, you know what? The guy who's doing surgery on you, you don't have to be afraid of him. You know why? Because all the things that you're going through, he's gone through. He was tempted in every way. You go, I've, you know, I've got some stuff I don't want to show you. You know, God, I, there, there's one of the reasons why I don't, I don't rest is because I have this issue over here. And, I, and I, I don't want you to see it. Well, first of all, you know that's totally irrational because he knows everything. How many of you know that fear typically isn't rational? It's like, I don't want you to see this. And he's like, yeah, I already saw it. I don't want you to see me naked. He's like, I already saw you naked. Adam, where are you? You know if God can't find you, you lost. <laughs> God, if you don't know where I am, and I don't know where I am... <laughs> and then he comes out with a fig leaf on, and God's like, what are you doing? He's like, well, I knew I was naked. And? <laughs> Adam, you look stupid. Make you some clothes, boy. That's what we do, though. We we'll put this little covering on, and we just try to pretend like there's nothing wrong. And part of it is, is that we're afraid that if God finds out what's really wrong with us, like today, there was really bold people stood up when Chris gave that call for pornography. It took a lot of courage to stand up. It took a lot of courage to stand up in the, amongst your family and say, "I actually have a problem." And I'll tell you, it took a lot of courage for Chris to say, I had this problem. Sometimes transparency creates a culture for more transparency for people. It does. But what happened? You, you know, a, a lot of you have a, had, the, uh, had that pornography problem, and I, I've got you know, stuff in my life, but we have them because it's like we keep it hidden from God. We think we're hiding it from God. And we think we're hiding it from God because if he finds out, he's going to be really mad. I know I'm just trying to show you how stupid it is. Look in the mirror. He already knows that you're screwed up. And not only that, but he's the surgeon, and the surgeon general is sympathized with you because he's been tempted in every way. He knows what it's like. Now, he didn't sin like you did, like I did. 
He didn't take the bait, but he, but he had to draw on his soul the same way that you did. So he knows what it feel like, feels like to have a draw on his soul to do something that is so like, I, you, know, you know what I mean? You fall, I don't mean you just fall into it, but he knows what it's like to be tempted. He knows what it's like to feel drawn to do something evil and have to fight it off. He knows what that feels like because it says he was tempted in every way, but he did in sin. So he's not, you're not coming to the Surgeon General who's like, well, I don't know how you did Have you ever talked to anybody? Like, they don't ever have a problem in their life. You go, man, I'm having this financial issue. He says, man, I've got money in the bank. I have this struggle with my wife. Jeez, we've had a great marriage. And it's just like, like, who am I talking to here? You know, are you an angel? Or... And by the way, you know, one third of you guys fell. You know, so it's like, whatever. How many of you know what I'm talking about? You talk to people, it's like, are they plastic? Or, you know, I have plants in my house that are always green too, because they're plastic. They're religious plants. They're green in every season. The only struggle is they're not alive. They're just corpses. Or something. I like the stinking things. You never have to water them. And so we, we, the guy who's operating on you with the, you know, the scalpel, he understands you. And he said that he's going to give you grace and you're going to come to a place of mercy when you're in need. So I just want to encourage you, like when you stop your activity and that stuff starts coming up, like it floats to the surface and it literally, it scares the hell out of you. That's the goal. The fear of God scares the hell out of you. That was a revelation I just had as I shared it. Dude, that could be a book. And you see that stuff, and you're like, God, that stuff scares me. It feels bigger. How many of you know that sin is bigger than you? Let me just say that again. Sin is bigger than you. You can't whip it, but God's in you. The reason why you can live a sinless life is because you have the Holy Spirit inside of you. And so you see stuff in your life like, oh God, I, you, I know you don't like this, I don't like this, I just stay busy so neither one of us have to look at it. And God's like, you're staying busy, but I'm still looking at it. <laughs> Denial is a beautiful thing. <laughs> yep. So we need to look... <laughs> I'm only on the third page. <laughs> I have notes from three other messages if you like those better. <laughs> Loving from the heart. Love suffers. We don't like that one. That was last week's. <laughs> Sexual purity message. Somebody once said that. What really causes us fear is not what happens to us, but the stories that we make up 
that happened to us. Somebody once said, but the, what steals our peace isn't what happens to us, but the stories that we make up, that we believe will happen to us. Somebody else once said, don't believe all your thoughts. Don't believe all your thoughts. Not all your thoughts are from you. <laughs> Let me put it this way. Not all your thoughts that are from you should you believe. <laughs> Just had that one. Lots of new revelation. <laughs> also, man, this is really a revelatory message. <laughs> Don't say it, though. So we need to add faith. Listen to this. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So if God says, okay, I want you, if you have faith, you'll rest. What is faith? Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not yet seen. Do you, do you know that fear is the same thing? Do you know what fear is? It's faith in the wrong world. Let me say this. When you're afraid, you have the assurance of things you didn't hope for. And you have convictions about things you haven't seen. That's why you're afraid. You think something terrible is going to happen to you. I don't know if I could. Fear is the assurance of things you haven't hoped for and the conviction of things you haven't yet seen. Fear is faith in the wrong world, isn't it? This means yes. This means you're going too long. You can leave if you want, but I'm going to finish this message. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. The word assurance is really interesting. Because it's the word hypothesis. And one of the definitions of the word hypothesis is when Christ, when his two natures, his human nature and his divine nature collide or are joined or are united. How many know that faith is the assurance of things hoped for? It's like when humanity and divinity, when they unite, you know you have what you've been hoping for. There's something about... There's something about resting when you have this assurance that the things that you hope for are going to happen because divinity and humanity have united. They're co-laboring for another, for we are co-laboring for, for God's provision in our life. And we have this sense that we have it. Are you with me? Another definition is one of the, of the three real and distinct substances of... Uh, no, I'm sorry, that was another one. Um, the, the word hypothesis, one of the definitions is one of the persons of the Trinity. Any one of the persons of the Trinity. How many of you know that we have assurance because we have Christ in us? What, what, what faith is, it's a manifestation that Christ is in me. 
that Jesus is with, with me, that the Father loves me, that the Holy Spirit's power is all around me. Yeah. And I begin to be reassured, and I begin to receive, you know what we read in, this, in that book, um, you know, Who Switched Off My Brain? She, says, she said, faith and fear are actually spiritual sources. There's something that happens in us when we start to believe. We start to, we start to become... We start to tap into the spirit realm and suddenly humanity and divinity unite and we know that we have what we've been believing for. And when we know we have it, we can rest even though we haven't yet seen it. Jesus talked about in Matthew 6, 19, and we'll be done in an hour. Do not store up your, for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up your, for yourself treasure in heaven, where neither, not, where neither moth nor rust be quiet, destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The, the eye is the lamp of the body. So then if your eye is clear, the whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, the whole body will be full of darkness. If then, if, the, if then the light that's in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters for either hate the one or love the other. He will be devoted to one and despise the other. You can't serve God and mammon. For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life. And then he starts talking about being worried about your life. And he finishes with this. He says, so do not worry about tomorrow, for, for tomorrow will care for itself. What's the point? When, you, when you're storing up treasure on earth, it's like he's saying that your treasure can blind you. When you're storing up treasure on earth, you're always worried about something stealing it. It's gonna, someone's going to steal it. It's going to rust. It's going to go away. Something bad's going to happen to your... Why? It's not, that you have, it's not that you have stuff. It's that stuff has you. And you begin to worry about your stuff. And he, said, and he says, listen, if the light that's in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Right after he talks about your treasure. What's he saying? He's saying that if you are storing up your treasure on earth, then the light, the best thing that's in you is dark. And how great is the darkness when the best thing you have going is visible? Let me try this side. How great is the darkness when the best thing that you have stored up is visible instead of eternal? And he says it keeps you blind, and when you're blind, you worry. And then he goes on to say, look at the birds of the air. They don't, they don't, uh, they don't, they don't work. That's not a good word for some of you. They don't... They, they don't gather, they don't... But the Father takes care of them. They don't worry. Look at the plants, they don't worry. They're dressed better than Solomon. They don't worry. Why don't they worry? I don't know why they don't worry, but... <laughs> Never thought of lilies worrying, but... Whatever, it's in the Bible. It says they don't toil, they don't spin, but God takes care of them. The birds there, God takes care of them. What's the point? The point is that if you, if, if you have stuff, that's fine, but if your stuff has you, you're blinded. And you're, you're not going to rest because you're spending all your time worrying about your stuff. 
Someone's going to take my stuff. Someone's going to steal my stuff. Something's going to happen to my stuff. It's like, where's your treasure at? There's something about being focused on the kingdom. God doesn't mind you having your stuff. I mean, some of the people who have the best relationship with God in the Bible, God gave them stuff. God goes, look, I'm going to give you stuff even though you didn't ask for it. I'm going to give you stuff. It's fine if God gives it to you. But there's something about the deceitfulness of riches. Like, I'm going to impress my friends with my stuff. God's all, that's just the wrong, that's just the whole wrong value system. And all that's going to do is produce in you, you know, you know what everybody wants in the whole world? What everyone can agree on. Everybody wants to be happy. I mean, you can define it different ways, but everybody wants to be happy. It's funny because sometimes we get stuff that takes away our joy. And Jesus thought, you know, you, you like to be happy, you know, if you'll just like seek first the kingdom, all this stuff, I'll give you. But if you're like, if you want to get the stuff, you could lose the kingdom. I know it's a silly illustration about being that focused, but Albert Einstein, only he had, he only wore one kind of clothes. He had ten shirts, ten pants, ten pairs of everything that were identical. That's a true story. He said, he said, I don't want to have to think about what to wear every day because I have more important things to think about. So I want to narrow my thinking options down to only things that are important to think about. So I bought all the same color, everything, and I just wear it every day. It's a true statement. Yeah, he didn't even know his phone number. So I only remember things that are important. That's such a good example, though, of the kingdom. It's like, you know, find something you like to wear and buy it ten times and don't worry about what to wear. Some of you ladies... I know why you don't rest. (laughs) You toil and spin. I'm just kidding about that part. We want you to look beautiful and all. Okay. Let's just see if I wrote anything down that was profound. Why did you laugh? <laughs> Never mind, I know why. I, I want to just make this last statement, not as this. There are seasons when... Well, let me quote the proverb. Proverb says that he who sleeps in the harvest is a fool. No, I happen to grow up on a farm, so I know that's not a metaphor. Because there's like, when the fruit ripens on the tree, you have, depending on what kind of fruit it is, you have about 3 to 10, 12, 14 days to get it off the tree. And if you don't get it off the tree, all your year's work is gone. It's done. It's over. It rots on the tree. So it's not a metaphor. 
And so Proverbs says, he who sleeps in the harvest is a fool. And literally what we would do is my grandfather would put big lights out and we would pick fruit. We would pick fruit night and day. We'd nap, you'd take a nap or whatever, but you've got to get the fruit off the tree because if you don't, it rots. And so, you know, in the midst of this rest word, there are, there are seasons where God goes, okay, you know what, it's like Elijah when God put him to sleep for two days, fed him a whole bunch of stuff and said, you're going to go on this for 40. Do you know what I mean? So there are, there are, there are seasons, ex- exceptional seasons, where God goes, okay, you know what, we're not going to do Sabbath for this month. We've got to harvest and we're going to finish this. But that shouldn't be an excuse for a lifestyle. Are you with me? And, and another thing is, I, I don't think Sabbath has to, in the New Testament has anything to do with Saturday. I think it has to do with the rest day. And you want to argue Saturday, that's great. Take Saturday, take, argue Friday, I, I, I don't care. I'm more concerned about not taking it. Because you, you need it. You're, you're, you were designed, spirit, soul, and body. You were designed, you were designed to need rest. Sometimes when we are not at work, and I'm talking about like we work 40 hours, sometimes we call what we call rest, we work harder on our day off or two days off than we did when we go to work. I'm like, well, I had two days off. It's like, that wasn't rest either. Bill, please, Bill. He's pointing at me. Okay, Jesus loves me. I have a major operation coming after this message. Surgeon General. (laughs) Whatever. Some of you guys have like really laid back personalities and someone needs to teach you to work. Because you're like resting six and working one. And next week I'll have a message for you. Yeah. Why don't you stand and let's just pray for this. Oh. Wasn't this profound? I'm just being funny, obviously. You know, the profound things are awesome. And I think that when we preach the profound stuff, you go home that night and you go, that is amazing. I bet you no one else knows this. You don't know what to do with it, but no one else knows what I know. But it's the simple things that you go home and go, oh my goodness, somehow I'm going to have to change my whole life. Isn't it? It's not the things I don't understand that bother me. It's the ones I do. So Father, I pray that this whole thing of rest and faith and trusting that you have that you are a good God and that you have my best, our best in mind. And that I can stop laboring because when I stop, you give to your beloved even while I sleep. So Lord, I don't have to worry about what I'm going to eat, what I'm going to wear, where I'm going to live, 
and all those things, all, all those things that that represents, I don't have to worry about that because you said that if I put you first, that you would take care of my concerns. In fact, you said that you would take care of them better than I would because you said even Solomon didn't dress himself like this. So, Father, I pray for this, this simple message that somehow that you would help us to put feet to it and, and work it out just day by day, that a little bit more rest every day until the kingdom inside of us is at rest. It's at peace. Father, I pray, I pray against fear, and I know, I know what it's like to have fear that, that something's just not right, but I just don't know what to do about it. God, I pray that you would begin to give hope and faith to people who are full of restlessness because there's something alive in the basement of our hearts that seems like it's bigger than us. It scares us. God, that you would give us reassurance that as we, as we soak in you, as we stop our activity, that you will go down into the basement of our heart and deal with the things that are bigger than us that you will defeat them and that you will give us grace and mercy in a time of need. God, I pray for every single person who's going through anxiety, going through depression, going through different words that we use to just, call, just say it, fear, it's fear. Lord, I pray that you would defeat that. And in the next 30 days, we would have more testimonies about people coming into joy and peace than in all the 30 years that Bill and I have been together. I pray we'd have more testimonies about people. I was fearful. I had anxiety all the time. I was depressed. I was discouraged. All these words that we use that are, that are, that are outgrowths of fear, that we would have more testimonies in the next 30 days from our people about the peace they've come into, the joy they've come into, the rest they've come into, than all the years that we've had put together. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you very much.